Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our proclamation and study of Paul's letter to the Romans, we have already made note of the bad news, good news scenario or or framework. Uh, It's one that is likely to resonate with us. Uh, I have bad news and I have good news. Which do you want to hear first? So the question gets asked. I usually choose the bad news first in order to end on the good news. But sometimes we get told good news without first being asked that question. And what do we often do? We assume there must be some bad news coming too. Someone finishes telling us something good that happened, some good development of circumstances, and we say, but, I know there's a but coming. And sometimes there is a but coming. Other times, the person says, no, 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 no buts. That's it. There's, that's all there is. And leaving us joyful with only the good news. And yet at other times, when we are hearing bad news, we sure hope there is some good news to follow. Think of getting a letter in the mail from the IRS. You open it, and it says, uh, we have found an error in your tax return Please find enclosed a bill for an amount, uh, an additional amount of taxes that you owe. Bad news, leaving you hoping for some good news. So you look at the bill and you find the good news that you're looking for. You owe a mere $12.59 to the U.S. Treasury. Leave it to the IRS to chase you down for $12.00. Knowing the federal government, it probably costs them that much just to send you the bill. Or think of being pulled over on the highway. That's always bad news. And, and when the officer walks up to your window, more bad news. He, he, uh, he, he clocked you. you. You were exceeding the speed limit. And oh, for some good news to come along in that situation. And then wonder of wonders, he is in quite a good mood. Maybe his wife kissed him well as he was leaving the house that morning. And he gives you a warning instead of a citation. Well, there are worse situations, of course. Uh, Think of a doctor sitting down with you because there is bad news. The test came back and the results are not good. A very serious illness has found you. Uh, your health is not good. Your, your mind races, finances, uh, life insurance, mortgage. Uh, will your family be all right? All to leave you hoping, hoping that the doctor will have more to say, some good news to follow the bad news, a course of treatment, a favorable prognosis to follow the very serious diagnosis, even the promise of a cure. You're very sick, but the good news is that you're going to get better. The good news, bad news framework is very familiar to us, and and especially now that we have heard over the past several weeks the bad news of the first two and a half chapters of Romans, we ought to be able to recognize the significance of the word but to begin Romans 3.21. But writes Paul. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, but there is a righteousness that comes from God. All men are without excuse before God, but there is a righteousness that God gives. Sinners are daily storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But before that day comes, and the bad news is that it will come, but before that day comes, God justifies sinners by His grace as a gift. And He does so by faith, not by works, but even by a most simple faith, the faith that only trusts and rests in Jesus. The first point this morning is the righteousness apart from the law. As the apostle now moves to proclaim and teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, he writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This is why it's good news, because as as Paul has already sought to teach us, because the law only condemns. The law always towers over us, threatening, even promising the judgment of God. By works of the law, which is to say by our own obedience, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So if there will be salvation, if anyone is to be saved, it must be apart from the law There must be a ministry beyond the law. The law itself is a ministry of God, which is to say God is doing something important by giving the law. And He is doing something still today. Whenever the law is read or heard, God is defining sin. He is identifying sin. He is charging sinners with sin and convicting us of sin. And there's the point. The law is all about sin and not about salvation. But here's the further saving ministry of God to manifest, to make known a righteousness that He gives apart from the law. The words, the righteousness of God in verse 21 ought to remind us of Paul's thesis statement in chapter 1. In in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul declared that he is not ashamed of the gospel. For, because, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So in a sense, in in Romans 3.21, Paul simply comes back to that reference and to that point, this this righteousness of God. And, And this righteousness of God surely refers to God's own holiness. Surely it refers to His character as the God who always does what is right. Remember that? But as Paul will now make clear, it is also It is also the righteousness that God gives to the sinner. And this righteousness is now revealed 
in the gospel, now manifested apart from the law of God and apart from the obedience of the sinner. So we have another, another double back, we might call it, another repetition as Paul moves forward. Remember how he wrote in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the verb tense there is important. It's, it's not that the wrath of God will be revealed in that final day of judgment. No, the wrath of God is now revealed because God himself is revealed through all that he has made in creation. God has revealed himself through all that he has made and, and therefore remember Therefore, the law of God is a gracious ministry, not gracious because it saves, but gracious because the law is, is, is extra, more than God in his justice would have had to provide. God is revealed already by creation. His wrath for sin is known to man, but he gives the law as revelation upon revelation as the law teaches that there is a God, He is holy, He created man to be holy, man is not holy, but is in fact a rebel sinner, deserving of the wrath and judgment of God. So Paul has been all about revelation to this point, and it's all been bad news for sinners. But now here is the good news. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been revealed apart from the law. And, and here's where we can draw in the birth of Christ on this day. We could take Luke 2 as our sermon text on this day, but we certainly don't have to uh, take Luke 2 as our sermon text to draw in the birth of Christ. Think of the shepherds. Think of the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night when an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. What was it? But a revelation to the shepherds. And think of the star that that later led the wise men from the east to come and worship Jesus. What was that star but a revelation? And think of the words of Simeon. As, uh, as the baby Jesus was presented at the temple, it says he took the child in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have, purveyed, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory. To your people Israel. And whether or not Paul knew those words that the man Simeon spoke in the temple, yet Paul says much the same thing when he writes, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Simeon spoke of, of the coming of Christ as, as having been prepared in the presence of all the peoples. And Paul writes, of the law and the prophets bearing witness to the coming gospel. And so we learn again that it's not Old Testament law, New Testament gospel, 
There is plenty of doom and gloom in the Old Testament. And it's there by God's own design to lead us to Christ. But the law and the prophets, which is Paul's way of referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, are Old Testament. Yet the law and the prophets bear witness to the coming of Christ and to the explosive revelation of this good news. That the righteousness of God is the righteousness that God gives to His people as they but trust Him for it and receive it from Him by faith. And so let it be all the more clear, let it be all the more revealed. The second point, that justification is by the gift of God. Verses uh, 23 and 24 read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. And let it be clear what Paul means by, by justified. Uh, if, if we don't know, we, we, we might say justified. What, what's that? What, what happened to the gift of righteousness? Well, that's what justified means. To be justified is to be righteous before God, to be righteous in the eyes of God Himself. And what verb should we use? Uh, we, we might say that to be justified is to be made righteous. The problem there is that the good news is not that we are made more and more righteous throughout our lives. That's what we call sanctification. So there are other words that we need to use to understand and speak of what justification means. To be justified means to be declared righteous by God. To be justified means to be counted righteous by God. To be justified means to be credited with the righteousness of God. To be justified means to be reckoned righteous by God. Choose, choose your word. Reckoned, counted, credited, declared. But dear sinner, hear and understand the good news of God through Jesus Christ, that righteousness is the thing you don't have and will never have, and righteousness is what you urgently need to be saved, but it comes to you by grace. It comes to you as God's gift to you, as He justifies you. You cannot justify yourself, so that you must be justified by God as He declares you to be righteous, counting to you His own righteousness as a gift. And what might be the sinner's response to hearing this? The proud sinner, the sinner not yet humbled by the law, says, uh, oh, but I have my own righteousness. But the only person believing that is you, if that's what you think. Ask anyone in your life and they will tell you that you are a sinner and not righteous. Not before God and not before anyone else who knows you. The humbled sinner, the sinner who admits what creation reveals, who knows what the law teaches, that person hears the good news with great joy. Only we might say, but I'm not righteous. 
Yes, but God declares you righteous. But, but, but I'm still a sinner. Yes, but through Christ and by your faith in Him, you are counted righteous, credited with the righteousness of God for your salvation. But the thing that will help us the most beyond the bare message that God justifies sinners is to understand how He does it. And that's what Paul Uh, That's what Paul teaches next in Romans 3. Uh, The picture comes to mind for me here of someone wearing wearing one of those uh, virtual reality masks or screens on their their face. Uh, They look strange, just uh, reaching out into, into the air, trying to touch what they are seeing. They, uh, they try to walk around, but they only bump into things. Is that, is that what we are like? We are told of a righteousness that is ours, but where, where is it really? It doesn't immediately show up in our lives because we're still sinners. So are we just seeing things? Uh, are we just reaching out into the air trying to receive this, this gift of, of righteousness? No, Paul explains that it comes to us through Christ. Paul is willing to proclaim the righteousness of God as the gift of God, but he is not willing to just to leave us just there. And so his teaching continues. Verse 24 again, we are justified by God's grace as a gift. And, and it's the gift of God that comes through Verse 24 continues, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But how does that help us? Uh, Now we have not one, but two big theological words. Justification and now redemption. But it continues, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Oh, but now we have three big theological words adding propitiation. So, so let's do this. Let's work through the, the teaching of Paul here backwards. First, there's this propitiation. This is the cross of Christ. This is Jesus suffering, dying on the cross, bearing in himself, in his body and soul, the wrath and the judgment of God for our sin. That's what propitiation means, that, that Jesus took and turned the wrath of God against us. Judgment was due to us. Jesus took it upon himself. Wrath was aimed at us. Jesus bore it and turned it away from us. So we are still sinners, which is not as it should be, but sin is no longer counted against us. In fact, as believers in Christ, our sin cannot be counted against us. It's one of those things that God cannot do. For God to count sin against a believer in Christ, he would have to punish the believer's sin twice. He would have to be unjust and unfaithful. He would have to quit being God. He would have to commit sin himself. If God were to count our sin to us now that, we, now that He has counted our sin to Jesus, our Savior. So next is redemption. 
Redemption means that, uh, that we have been bought and uh, we have been purchased. We have been made the very possession of Christ. And, and the price paid was the blood of Christ, the life of Christ uh, given at the cross. To redeem means to buy, even more to buy back. I think we can understand since redeem is not such an unf- unfamiliar word to us. But bought back from what? Or from whom? Or from where? It's actually all three. By the blood of Christ on the cross, by the life of Christ laid down for us, we were bought back from sin, from Satan, and from hell. Redeemed from what? From sin. Redeemed from whom? From the evil one. Redeemed uh, from where? Redeemed from hell itself. And so we are justified. Is justification the bare declaration of God? Is, is God like a judge who just says the words, not guilty, with no basis for it? No, we are justified as propitiation is made for us. And as propitiation is made for us, so we are redeemed. And as we are redeemed, so we are justified in Christ. In the end, we even need to see that the righteousness of God coming to us as a gift is Christ himself. Our justification, our righteousness before God is no bare declaration but is the declaration of God in Christ. Can you hear now what the angel meant when he said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you a Savior is born. I think we understand that the the baby Jesus was a gift. Uh, especially in this time of year, we easily remember that the, the baby Jesus was the gift of God to us. But what is the meaning of the gift? And we all know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But what does it mean to perish? And how so will we not perish because God gave us His only Son? We need, to, we need to study it out and learn it. We, we, we need to know it and think it daily. We need more than quaint images of a baby in a manger. We need to understand the full and free love, the, the full and free love of God in, in, in giving us His only begotten Son. Because of Christ, by way of propitiation, redemption, and justification, we are righteous in the sight of God. And we are righteous in the sight of God because God declares us so in Christ. And it's meant to fill us with wonder, which it will if we truly understand it. It's it's meant to fill us with joy, and it will as we search it out in God's word more and more. And it's meant to give us hope and peace each day that we live. Yes, we are sinners. But we are saints by the gift 
of God's righteousness through Jesus, our Savior. Finally, then, this third point, the call to faith. The Apostle Paul first mentions faith back in Romans 1 in his thesis statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And now in Romans 3, Paul returns to the righteousness of God. He proclaims the righteousness of God as a gift to the sinner, but he also returns to the call to faith. In verse 22, it's, It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Again in verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So if the IRS says you owe the government $12, why in the world would you send them $1,200? If the officer is willing to give you a warning, why would you demand the citation instead? If the doctor says there's a cure, why not accept the treatment and be well? And yet there are many who, who hear the gospel and walk away. So let each of us hear the call to faith. My fellow sinners, receive it. Receive the gift as it's held out to you this morning. Turn from unbelief and receive the gift of righteousness. But also hear and receive the teaching that Paul gives here about faith, the faith that saves. First, take up the faith that that knows that God is just. Verse 25, Paul says that God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. The words put forward mean put on display, like like a plaque on the wall. God placarded Christ on the cross. And why? So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So so the point is salvation. The point is the sinner's justification. But God would have a people who understand the cross and understand through the cross that God is just. God would have a people who know that God is just and, and who know that Christ really did bear the wrath and judgment of God for the people of God. And the reason God would have us know that He is just is firstly for His glory, but further so that we will be filled with thanksgiving for what God in Christ has done for us. Who is going to turn from sin and live for Christ? Only the person who loves Christ dearly. And who is going to love Christ dearly? today, tomorrow, and and even to death. Only the one who knows and believes that God is just, that Christ bore the judgment of God for them. As As one poet puts it, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It's one thing to hear the gospel and walk away, but it's not much better 
to hear the gospel and not be moved, heart and soul, to love Christ for suffering, wrath, for suffering, judgment, for for suffering, hell, for me. Therefore, secondly, the call to faith is to take up the faith that does not boast. Does not boast. In verse 27, Paul writes, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Even the Apostle Paul called himself the worst of sinners, the chief among sinners. And he writes in Galatians 6, verse 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. A proud Christian is an oxymoron. There should be no such thing because faith comes by the conviction of the law. And God's law says none is righteous, no, not one. So that when the gospel comes with the proclamation and the declaration of of righteousness, what is there to boast about except to boast in the cross of Christ and in his righteousness counted to me? Finally, the call to faith is to take up the faith that upholds the law. Verse 31 makes an important, uh, ask an important question. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And the answer is this, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Are we done with the law now that the gospel has come? No, we, we uphold the law. Do we throw out the law, having received the righteousness of God by faith? No, we we even love the law of God because it continues to show us our sin, that we might repent of it, that we might seek to, to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all the more. The law reminds us how glorious it is to have God's gift of righteousness. The older you get, the more you will know of your own sin. And that's through the law of God, because God's law is defining sin, and it's identifying sin, and it's charging you with sin, and it's convicting you of sin. And it does that throughout the Christian life. So we need a faith that that will uphold the law. And yet we need to remember, do we not? We need to remember that the law no longer condemns us. Yes, we are shown to be sinners in every day that we live, even as we live for Jesus Christ. We are shown to be sinners. The law does that for us. But the law no longer condemns us. It instructs us and it guides us. It instructs us and guides us in living uh, a joyful life, a thankful life, a life of gratitude for the Savior whom we love. Let's ask God for this, this faith and none other. Let's bow in prayer together to do that. Father in heaven, we are sinners before you. Faith is not of us. It must come from you. Grant it to us, O Lord. Grant us to hear the good news, to see the the glory of Christ, to know the, the glory of the cross and all that is ours in Him. 
and bring us to trust, to rest, to rely upon, to depend upon with joy and with peace what Christ has done for us, that we might receive your gift of righteousness and be saved. Bless us, we pray, O Lord. Let us not walk away. Give us faith, and this faith, and none other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.